starting all over again is gonna be rough on us but we're gonna make it it's breakfast with bob thank you poncho man this is breakfast with bob not quite kona edition my name is bob babbitt we are brought to you by hookah one one keto try four seasons walleye challenge day kona form goggles canyon bikes Norma Tech and Human Velo Fix You Can, and our Challenged Athletes Foundation, our next guest, six-time Ironman world champion, a true legend in our sport, Natasha Bodman joins us. Natasha, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Bob. How is everything over at your place? We are all healthy here. (laughs) Good, good. Hey, so Natasha, when when you first came to Kona, you had, like now they have all this qualification process, but at the time you were a duathlete and winning the Power Man's events. Did, did Iron Man call you and say, hey, would you like to come over? How did you end up coming to Kona for the first time in 1996? You know, I think this is uh, an invitation I got thanks to Karen Smyers. She was the one who came to Zofing and to do the Power Man here because early year, all the great champions raced Hawaii and Powerman Zofing, because th- those two events were the hardest race existing and uh, they had the best prize money. And so everybody came from Kona over to Switzerland. And so Karen came and it was my first, she won in 95 uh, in Kona. And so, so she came and she was the very big champion and also the favorite. And then there was me, not racing very much <laughs> and uh, just it, but it was kind of my home course that I trained on so uh, she came here and I had uh, home advantage I honestly have to say and because I was beating her that day uh, I got the invitation to Kona and what people don't realize since Power Man Power Man at the time there was really three major events in the world there was Nice there was Power Man and it was Iron Man Right. In terms of yeah. prize money, prestige, there really was, they were the main events. So when you were winning Power Man, the best athletes in the world were coming to race you. And there was big prize money, right? That, people probably don't remember much, know much about Power Man, but it was a big event. It was, as you said, it was one of the three biggest events in the world. Athletes kind of uh, were true, they, they also were apart. So it was pretty good. You could do Nice and Zofingen, and then you could go to Hawaii. So it was very excellent uh, field calendar. So a lot of people get off the plane in Hawaii, and especially a lot of people from Europe, because they're not used to this type of heat. When you got off the plane in 1996 to come over to do Hawaii for the first time, what were your thoughts on this on this heat? And had you ever been in heat like that before? You know, it was like it was not like today. As you know, we had uh, not too many videos. We had I just I was reading competitor Mac and triathlete Mac. We had no videos to watch. We had no YouTube to see. So I had to really prepare myself for Hawaii what I was reading in journals and there was nothing more that I could get. And especially in Switzerland, it was hard to get American journals. And we had not have all these informations that we have today. So when I uh, came out of the airplane in Kona, I said, oh, an airport with no roof. I never saw that before. So <laughs> it, was very, it, it was very interesting because I said, oh, 
what a nice place. And I kind of, right the first step I did out of the airplane, I loved it because it was thankfully evening. It wasn't really, really hot. I just got a warm breeze and I felt it was kind of that aloha that came by. And so I, the first step I made on the island, I, I loved it. That was and great. <laughs> our first exposure to you was here you are on the Queen K Highway running side by side with at that time, seven time Ironman world champion, uh, Paul Newby Frazier. And had you raced Paula much before that? Or was that one of the first times? No, for me, I have, hadn't raced her at all. For me, she was that untouchable uh, great queen. I, I, I never, I saw her racing Zolfingen, but I was too scared to even talk to her. So when she, when she <laughs> was here and uh, she did that race, I said, who? Better don't talk to her. She certainly is very busy and uh, she's, a, she's a very big queen. So I was kind of the Swiss little... A chick that came to Kona and I, I didn't expect of, of, of running side by side to her. I just was uh, overwhelmed by all these new things that ra racing in Kona brings with you. So, so it was just exploring the island and uh, my first Ironman at all. You have to imagine, I wasn't used to race Ironman. So I came to Kona racing my first Ironman and Wow, there were so many things. I, I really was surprised how, how much I loved it. Yeah, and you seem to connect to the island right away. I remember with the wind, because you don't see that type of wind in other places, but you use that as a positive. You felt like the, the wind is giving me wings and, and helping me, where a lot of people, they would feel intimidated by the wind or how do I deal with it? You seem to embrace the heat, the wind, everything the island brought. See, because I didn't know much about the island, I had that mental training that I was going through with my coach, Tony. So he said, when you want to go there and you do that long travel, imagine Switzerland compared to Kona, it's 12 hours difference. So it, it's a very long trip and also a complete new, everything is completely new. And when we did mental training, um, he prepared me to accept everything that the day will bring me. So accept everything in the best way, positive, in the positive, in the most, uh, in the most positive way that yes. that would be. Yeah. So I was, whatever came up to me, if it was heat, I said, okay, I accept heat. If it, if it was wind, I said, oh, nice wind, give me some more. Um, of course, there were challenges I never faced before, but if, it kind of also was very interesting and I wanted to see and to feel as much as I could. So when you get second in your first time there, right, and watching you come across the finish line, it was like you would walk. You were so excited to get Second place, your first time there. Paula wins her last world championship. What was going through your head when you get you coming down Ali'i Drive your first time and you get second place? I think I couldn't really get it. I just felt like the happiest person in the world. I still have that picture uh, that someone back then pictures were rare. So yeah. I, I I think you probably you may have one probably yes. from back then. I have you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So I have that picture that was a, a bigger shot than uh, it was not only nine, nine time 13. Uh, so it was a little bit bigger. And it showed me at the finish line, just being there and 
enjoying. It was just that moment that I, that I still can, can feel when I think about it. And I also had it on the cover of my book because it was just, for me, the, the picture of, of happiness, infinite happiness. And you had had success, obviously, at Power Man, but did getting second place in Kona, did that change things for you? More sponsors, more awareness of who you were because of the finish in Kona? Um, first of all, it brought that Ironman spirit to Europe. So mm. far, we it was not known that much. Also in Switzerland, of course, they knew that there were Ironmans, but they all were crazy. So it was kind of that those those athletes in the in the in the speedos running the whole race day they were crazy. <laughs> so it was a little bit that image that uh, that I faced. But then from year to year. Um, it became more aware. And what we also saw in the sport, it, the sport in whole developed huge. I think uh, also when we watched the prize money, the attention um, on TV, the attention in journal. I remember first time I was in Hawaii, it was a little bit announcement in the journal. And then later years, it got it got a little bit picked picture a little bit bigger sizes and the awareness over the year it all came bigger and the sponsorship everything came bigger yes definitely when you won your first title in 98 uh i'm sure it, it, it continued to get better and you were the first european woman to win the ironman world championship and that that changes things when someone in europe sees that you have done that that encourages other women to feel like well if she can do it why can't i do it was that important to you to be that role model once you realized that you now had this platform as you know, Ironman was the, the biggest event in the world and you were the winner of the biggest event in the world? It's fantastic to see how much I influenced, looking backwards now, how much I influenced the sport and, and what, what it brought up. It was not just by, by doing it once. I think it was by doing it over the years and the exposure it, it came and other athletes coming up. The scene here is, is huge and it hadn't been that some years ago. That's, it's really fantastic. It's hard to be pioneer, but it's also wonderful to see what can, what can come out. The other thing that I, I think nowadays, if somebody gets into the sport, it's, they have a swimming background, they have a running background, they're, 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 they come from a sport. You did not come from a sport. You are someone who was, well, I think you got into running because you wanted to lose a little weight. And the next thing you know, you're becoming one of the best endurance athletes in the world. Did you surprise yourself with what came out of you starting to, because you didn't do any of this when you were a little girl, right? No, I kind of was not uh, the sporting girl. If, if we had sports in, in school, where I, I grew up with uh, the teacher telling we do, we do two classes. You guys, you two guys, you choose your group. And at the end, it always was Natasha left. And so the teacher said, and you, Natasha goes to this group. And everybody said, oh, Natasha, she's not really athletic, but we have to take her. So that was of kind of my background. So probably if, if the others uh, now see what, um, what I came, they yes. didn't see that in me either. Actually, the only one who saw that I have a potential in sport was Tony. Yes. He, was, he was the one who said, I see that Will, if she starts something, she's finishing it. 
And he saw that I have that inner fire and he just helped me to, to build it up. So um, not many saw it, but he, he was the one who always believed in me. When did, it's always great when someone believes in you before you believe in yourself. When did you feel like maybe he's right? Maybe I am good at this. Actually, never. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I, I never thought I could do it. And he just said, uh, yeah, you go and try. And so as you saw my first Ironman, I just came there and I didn't think about beating someone. I just was there to see how far I could go. And suddenly I was running beside the big queen. So I was surprised by then. And uh, this kind of was a story that that went on and it was uh, beautiful and it was great. And when I then later had my accident, I just wanted to get that great feeling back, that beautiful story, keep, keep it going on. When, when I look at your career and you, similar to Paula, Paula's philosophy was get a big lead on the bike and win the Ironman, right? And you did that, you know, in 98, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2004. 2005, I think, is my favorite win of yours because you, a real champion, can win multiple ways, different ways. And in 2005, you had an Olympic silver medalist named McKeeley Jones coming over to do her first Kona. And you got a drafting penalty, which is silly, and you ended up behind her. So you had to win the race in the run. I always look at that as a very special win because you did it differently. How, when you look back at that race, is that one is that one special for you because of the way you won it? Every race was special because it all had its own history and its own preparation and the doubts and yeah. the highlights and everything that comes with such a race. But definitely you're right, uh, two, 2005, uh, having the race against Mikili was completely different. It was, uh, it was among all, all other expectations that, that, uh, that, that were there. And I think uh, I surprised myself very much by running because I knew the world class that Mikkeli Jones had. And if you asked me before the race, if I had been at your breakfast with Bob, and you asked me before, will you run down Mikili Jones? I said, come on, Bob. She is a silver medalist at the Olympic. I would never be able to, to run with her. If, if, right. I could go, if I could go uh, a mile, I'm probably happy. But I never thought that I could make it uh, because she, for me, she just was was excellent runners. So how that race came out, it still fascinates my brain today. <laughs> the other thing is, we both know that you can have, the, it, because it's an open road and because you can get sick, you never know what's going to happen, no matter what your preparation is. In 2006, you got sick during the race and you threw up and you could have, you're, at that point, you're a six-time champion. You could have dropped out. Nobody would have said anything, but it was important to you to finish. And even though you, you know, 327 marathon, which is not something that normally you would do, you finished 10th. Do you take something from that race, even though you didn't win it? Oh, definitely. Every race um, I finished gave me something. 
And especially finishing on the hard circumstances does not make you weaker. It probably hurts for the moment because you know you could have done better or I exactly knew I could have done better. But finishing something that uh, is not easy and yeah, I had to vomit and I wanted to do it secretly and <laughs> camera caught me anyhow. <laughs> so it's, it's really not that scene that I am proud about, but finishing um, always fulfilled me more than giving up. And that's probably a reason why I finished every race that I entered. So 2007, you have the, what, the motorcycle, the cone, you, you end up having this horrific crash. And talk a little about the injuries, because I don't think people realize how serious those injuries were and how those affected you for, for years to come after that crash. So the injury, they were multiple and severe. So I was in cost. I had to, surgery, to do a surgery in both shoulders. Both shoulders had uh, different and five different injuries in one yeah. shoulder. So it was not just a collarbone that would uh, be fixed in six weeks. That's what I first thought. And that's why I wanted to go back on the bike. But there were, I think it's uh, tendons that had ruptures. And those usually take very long. So for me, the first thing that happened after the surgery is that I had my arms like this for several weeks till everything was reattached. And the prognosis was that I never would be able to swim again or to lift my arms all the way up. The prognosis was that I would get about a range of motion of 90%, which never would allow me to swim again. And in, in my mind, I just was not ready to accept that. So I said, I'm going gonna, gonna to swim again. I will swim again in Kona. I want to feel the water again. And this is what always uh, was in my mind. Also, that I was not the fastest swimmer, but I wanted to get that feeling back. And this was what kept my motivation for training. I mean, you think about it. There's not many people racing professionally when they're in their 40s and 50s, <laughs> like Natasha Badman you know, when I look at, uh, at 45 in 2012, you had the fastest bike split in Kona, right? Faster than Leanne Cave and Marinda Carfrey and Caroline Steffen. You win Ironman South Africa in 2014 at the age of 48. Was there a point where you felt like, because when people have been doing a sport for a long time, it's easy to burn out, especially with the crashes that you had. Why was it important for you to come back and still race as a professional? Just because of the feeling. I enjoyed it so much. And when probably I was very thankful to have a great career before my crash. So in 2007, I felt, I know, I'm not sure if I ever told you the story about my apple tree. Did I ever tell you the story? No. No? Man, Bob, we have so much to talk. We do. <laughs> So when I started my career, I always said uh, I felt like an apple tree. There was a little seed and a, a tree that grew. It, trees, you know, trees don't grow fast. So it took me a while to grow fast. And in, uh, in 2007, I felt like I am not only a tree. I felt that I also had bloomed and I felt like I was full with apples. So when I came to Kona, I felt so, so innerly rich and so strong that even before the race, I had a time that was marvelous. I just felt fantastic. And having the crash 
in that moment probably was the worst that could happen. But it also was the nicest because that feeling that I had of these good emotions helped me to come back. I wanted that feeling back and it was just chasing this one that brought me over so many years of recovering, of getting my arms slowly up and up and up again, which took me about six years. It's amazing how patient you stayed. You're right. It is like watching a tree grow when you have to every year go, you're talking centimeters. Yeah, yeah, little. So you also, and I always love this at Ironman Switzerland. Right? I don't know if it was 14 or 15, what year it was, but you take second to Daniela Reed, who has now won four Ironman World Championship titles and is also from Switzerland. How important was that and how special was that for you to be on the podium with a woman who was followed in your footsteps? So Ironman Zurich was her first race at all. And the day before, she did the short distance in Zurich. And then the day after, she did the long distance. And I thought, she is so crazy young. How can you do two races in two days? And and then uh, when I catched her on the bike, she stayed with me. And she uh, was running me down on the run. And I thought, how is it possible to do that? And she said later on the race, Thank you that you came by on the bike. I was sleeping. <clears throat> you woke me up. And I said, yeah, what's that? <laughs> but thank goodness I woke her up. <laughs> the funny part is, is I was talking to her coach, Brett Sutton. And Brett, because remember, she'd been seventh in the Olympics. And she'd been to two Olympic Games at that point. And she wanted to go to 2016 to go to Rio. And Brett saw that she was more of a long distance athlete. And so she wanted to do the Olympic distance race at Zurich. And he wanted her to do the long. And their compromise was she would do both. <laughs> I'm like, Daniela, that doesn't sound like, like you gave in. Like, it doesn't sound like Brett gave in at all. You ended up doing both races. She says, yeah, I, I didn't win that one. But she... Could you tell right then that she was going to be pretty special in the sport? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know many athletes, uh, and actually, I know only athletes of Brett Sutton who did Saturday and Sunday races. I do not know many other athletes who who achieved doing that. So, for you, was was your last Kona 2016? Yes. Yeah. What That's was that? My feeling? twenty years. What was that feeling like to be 20, 20 years in this sport? It's one thing to do it as a, you know, an age group athlete, but to do it as a pro, that's pretty unbelievable. What was it like doing it that knowing that it's going to be your last time as a pro? It was very special again, <laughs> like yeah. probably all my races in Kona, but it somehow felt so, so, so okay because starting 96, uh, having my first Kona then, and then in 16, the last one, that felt so right, so right, so so perfectly good for a last race. But also, of course, with doing a last race, it's, it's also letting go something that uh, that is not, that is very emotionally. So when you look back at your career, what do you look back as your, the toughest moment that you had to deal with in your career? 
the toughest yeah. definitely was my accident in 2007. That was very tough. I have honestly to say, I cried, I cried many times. Uh, I stood up many times. I was hurting a lot and uh, I was always fighting back. Yes. But um, that's what, what is the sport. It's not always big pleasure party. It's uh, you have to work for becoming becoming good. I think every athlete goes through that. And uh, when you get an accident, that's probably something which is not uh, only depending on you. If it's something, if you crash because you crash uh, because you did the wrong step, I always got mad at myself. But right. crashing from something outside is something unexpected. And so this definitely was was the hardest moment because also because I felt especially good before. Right. What's your happiest memory from your racing years? I think all my finishes, it doesn't even matter if it was the 2012 where I came in sixth or if it was my first one where I didn't win. They all were special. They all were great. And I, I love them all. I don't want to, to, to treat one for another one. <laughs> so what is it about you that has helped to make you a champion? What do you look at as a, a character trait you have that has helped to make you a champion? I think it was Tony's philosophy. Tony always said, it's not only one part. We do not have to... Um, to make you, to give you a good training. Um, the success that is built, we need to build it like a house on, on four sides or on four poles. And Tony said the four poles, they, of course, they all are together with the sport. But if you only train, you never will be the best. You also have to do the mental training because the combination of training and mental training combined by nutrition and combined by the best material this will is a big mosaic that will bring you a champion as a champion. And as you know, my bike was very special. You also know I had a kind of diet that nobody else had. I did my mental training where some people said she's a little bit silly. <laughs> but all these things finally helped, I think, to give that great, fantastic picture of all these wins. When you talk about nutrition, what, what was different about your nutrition program? So we also, I think we were pioneers back then. Can you imagine? I brought the first Red Bull to Hawaii. There was no, there was no Red Bull in Kona. And now there is Red Bull. And there were other things. I was, we were working with amino acids. Nobody, I think, back in, the, in 96 had amino acids on the bike. I did. It was ugly to take, but I took it. Yes. So um, there were all these little things. Um, like, like I said, the mental preparation. No one did that mental preparation. When I came with my bike, I imagine, uh, I, I remember Jürgen Zack told me, you cannot ride that bike in that wind. You will be blown off the street. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we had many experiences that we made and they, they luckily turned out good. I always also tried um, new wheels and uh, with head, I had those three spoke wheels that were pretty tough but very fast so they're probably always only were little components if you watch first pictures i was the first girl or the first athlete with an aero helmet 
Today, yeah. everybody rides an aero helmet. These were all things that Tony said, listen, if it's 180K on the bike and you're only five seconds faster, we take them. So the other thing is you obviously were racing into your late 40s and into your 50s. How did you have to adapt? How did you have to change your training and maybe racing as you aged? Or, and did you have to add weight training and flexibility? What did you do to stay competitive as an older athlete? I didn't change too much in this because I always did some stability stabilization training and I always try to get uh, not too much flexibility but uh, as much as needed an endurance athlete should not be too flexible I think only for the swim and there I had to work a lot <laughs> to get those arms up again so um, mainly I focused on giving my best every day and this not with pressure but this with joy I think this helped me to be in the race or an athlete for a long time. If I would, it, if I would have been in, in pain each day or in, 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 in tension or right. in, I, I probably wouldn't last that long. If, if pain would be my best friend, I think this would, the sport I would quit, this would not have been something for me. I mostly had the, the joy sides and this is what also made me smile a lot. And this is how I could do my races. So with, with everything you've accomplished, are you still, uh, we all, both of us love this sport, right? We know the sport changes lives for the better. And it's just, I call it the fountain of youth because you can do this sport forever. As a runner, you're not going to get a lot better when you're 50 than when you were 40. But as a triathlete, I turn 70 next year. I'm going to be faster than I've ever been. I know it, right? So for you, is this a sport you'll continue to do even though you're not a pro? I'm not sure if I will be faster with 70 than I was. <laughs> no, no. The good thing about that is I was always slow. So, <laughs> so congrats on that, Bob. <laughs> That's a problem. That's a problem. You were too fast when you were younger. But are you still, will you still race as an age grouper? Will you still go to events and things like that? You know what I'm waiting for? What? I'm waiting for a special category and I, I'm waiting for the Ironman legends category. I don't want to race against age grouper who trained their whole life to go to Kona and to be, have a result there and then to be scared of recent pros that they have to race against. I don't want to be that. I want to race with no result, with no uh, trophy, with nothing in a legend category. And I know there are many athletes, many retired pros that would like to race again in a category like that, where they do not disturb the race of anybody else. You know, that is a really great point because I want to see Natasha Bodman and Scott Molina and the legends participating in the sport, but I totally get an age grouper going, I can't compete with someone who is a pro. And I understand a pro going, gosh, I don't want to take an award from anybody, from an age grouper, because these are the people who've supported me all these years. Right, right. That is a great point. But if there was a, hey, I just want to race, I don't want to be in a category, Natasha Bodman would be on the start line. I definitely would like to come back because, as I said, I mentioned, uh, I love the, the way, I love the lifestyle and the uh, 
I had the, my happiest life in the moments of the sport. That's why I did it for such a long time. Love it. Natasha, thank you as always for taking so much time. It is always such an honor to get to chat with you. I love the energy you bring to our sport and just your, your enthusiasm for the athletes. And one of the things that people overlook is when you were out there winning the race, you were cheering for every age grouper who was heading in the other direction where a lot of people would be, save your energy, don't do that. You were the one who was the, the biggest cheerleader for the sport while you were leading the race, which I, I'll always, uh, I always look at as something very special. Thank you very much. Honestly, sometimes I have a sore arm the next day, not from swimming. <laughs> from waving to everybody, from cheering. You have your cheering elbow. You have cheering elbow? Is that what you have? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Natasha Botman has been our guest, six-time Ironman world champion, a true legend in our sport. My name is Bob Babbitt. This is our not-quite-cone edition of Breakfast with Bob. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you later.